We thank you that we can stand in the power of Christ because today we celebrate his resurrection. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are indeed alive. And we gather today as your people, recognizing that the Father has granted you to life again because you had never sinned. and You'd conquered sin and Satan and death, and we thank you that you are reigning now. Spirit of God, you are with us. We ask that you would guide us as we take a look at your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In Historically in Christianity, there is a greeting on Easter Sunday, and it is, Christ is risen. That's right, Christ is risen. There is probably nothing more traumatizing ever than false hope. Than false hope. It can take various forms. False hope can show up in the place where you're about to buy a house, maybe through a pandemic. You've been told that you're going to get the house. It's been secured. And the day before you're going to move in, everything falls through. Some legal glitch comes up. There's nothing more traumatizing than false hope. It could be that uh, you have a cancer diagnosis, but the prognosis is good. And as you kind of bump along for a couple of weeks, you find out that the prognosis is wrong, and you actually only have one week left to live. I, I've been in that situation with people, not myself, but them. False hope. There's probably nothing more traumatizing than false hope. And through this pandemic, we have felt all kinds of moments of false hope. Where we've thought that the ebb and flow of it is going to be lesser. Where we've thought that the restrictions are going to be lighter. We've thought that we've seen the last of some semblance of lockdown. And yet, it's been challenging. A challenging year of lockdowns, of restrictions, of bankruptcies, of death. Of loss of passage, loss of passage in how we typically celebrate birthdays, graduations, weddings, births, funerals. Loss of passage has been enormous this year. In fact, so much so that the Canadian Mental Health Society, or the Mental Health Association, studied massive survey in Canada in the fall, and this was what was released, I believe it was December 3rd. One in ten Canadians have experienced suicidal thoughts through the pandemic, up from 6% last spring, typically less than 1% in a usual year. 21% of, uh, of those who are between the ages of 25 to 34 have experienced suicidal thoughts. 19% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 have experienced suicidal thoughts. 17% of Canadians have increased their use of substances through the pandemic, and 20% of Canadians have increased their alcohol use through the pandemic. In fact, as I was driving in uh, Good Friday, not that I should be driving in, but as I was, just briefly on the radio, two radio announcers were talking about how they now cup a coffee, shot of something, cup a coffee, shot of something. And I just looked through these stats on Thursday, and it, just, it was just there. I just, I just heard it and thought, that's what's going on. And yet we have a hope, a hope, not a whimsical wish, but a certainty our hope has a certain expectation with it. Today is Resurrection Sunday. And on Resurrection Sunday, we have a resurrection hope. We have a resurrection hope because Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, anyone, anyone whom he has saved, anyone who has trusted in him is alive in him. That is good news. 
We have a resurrection hope because we believe that one day we will be reunited with loved ones who've passed on before us. We have a resurrection hope because one day we will be in resurrected bodies. One day I won't be battling sciatica. One day we won't be battling different ailments that we face. But mostly we have a resurrected hope because our Savior, Jesus, God the Son, has secured our salvation, granting us freedom from sin and Satan and death because he's conquered all three. And so we have a resurrected hope mostly because of the accomplished work of Christ and what he's done for us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the death comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. He will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, all power. He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he, quote, has put everything under his feet. Now when he says that everything has put, been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who will put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Paul starts out and he says, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? So there were a group of believers who were saying, Christ has been raised, but we won't be. We'll live, ethereally, we'll live spirit beings, but we will not have bodily resurrection. There's a group of people that are saying that in Paul's days here in Corinth, that they'll be raised in spirit. Their spirit will go on living, but not in bodily form. He doesn't extrapolate. We don't have any details as to other things that they're espousing or saying, but that's what they believe. And Paul says, I want you to know what the consequences of resurrectionlessness is. Now, I'll tell you, that word does not exist. I have made it up this week. In fact, when I was leaving the office today, Jenna pointed it to me and laughed and was kind of like, where does this come from? I said, I, I, I needed a word, and so I just, I made this one up. But Christ, the consequences of resurrectionlessness, right? The first is this, Christ is not raised. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's a powerful point. What Paul's saying is, we are so tied to Christ 
in his death and burial and resurrection that if he is not raised or if we are not raised, neither has he. This morning in watching freedom being baptized, baptism is a symbol as someone is plunged under the water of the representation of what God has done in their life, of them dying, being held there for a moment, them being buried, and them coming back up again, being united in the resurrection of Christ. We are united in Christ, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, in all three. And Paul says, I want you to know, if you're not raised to life again, not even Jesus has been raised. If you can't believe in the resurrection, then Jesus himself has not been raised to life again. And then he goes on. He says, our efforts and our faith are useless. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He says, I want you to know that if Christ has not been raised, everything you say about him is useless. Whether you're teaching at Kids Zone, teaching at a, a sports league when we run soccer in the summers, speaking at youth, I'm preaching and proclaiming the gospel this morning. He says, I want you to know that that is absolutely entirely worthless if Christ has not been raised. If we are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. He says, I want you to know if, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, everything we say about the gospel is wrong. Everything we say about the gospel is wrong. Everything we say about God is wrong. If Christ has not been raised, this is so pivotal to our faith, everything hinges on it so certainly that everything, everything comprehensively is wrong about our faith. Everything. You could take this book and burn it if Christ has not been raised. It would be the most useless thing to keep if Christ has not been raised. The most useless thing to keep if Christ has not been raised. He said, so is your faith. Your faith is absolutely useless. Why? It's our faith in Christ. His accomplished work that we believe shields us from the wrath of the Father. We believe he's the Messiah. We believe he's the one who's come. We believe he is God the Son, the second person of the triune God who has come. And Paul says, I want you to know, your faith is useless. It's worth nothing if Christ has not been raised. You know, I, I have people that will come to me at times and say, you know, I, I would rather live as a Christian and in the end find out that there's nothing than live as any of these non-Christians. I'm like, are you an idiot? Like, are you an idiot? Paul says that later on. You know that, right? to be pitied more than all people. To argue yourself into believing that it's better to live as a Christian and there's nothing after death that Christ has not been raised to life and, and it's better to live like this than as a non-Christian if there's nothing. You have fooled yourself. You fooled yourself. Why would you ever live like this if this is a lie? Why would you ever give all of that money why would you ever give all of that time? Why would you ever invest in people the way you did? Why would you sacrifice? Think of all the times you spent reading the word. Think of all the time you spent praying to nothing. 
It is useless, he says. Your faith is useless. What we say is useless if Christ has not been raised to life. That's how pivotal the resurrection is. It gets worse. You think it get worse, did you? You're lying about God. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if the dead are not raised. Note, he's still relating it. If we are not raised, Christ has been not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, we lie about God. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He, he says it's not just that your faith in preaching is useless. Because I want you to know that you've actually lied about God. Because if you've been declaring that the second person of the triune God has come down, lived a sinless life, was the Messiah, because he fulfilled the law in every way, in that the law pointed to him, and he fulfilled the law in every way, in that he never sinned. And you claim that this sinless one died on the cross, the wrath of the Father being poured out on him, and three days later, God raised him to life again. If Christ hasn't been raised and he's still dead, then either he was a sinner, Satan did defeat him, death did own him, or he was never God the Son to begin with. And you're liars about God. Because then God isn't who you think he is. God is someone else. If the resurrection isn't true, then maybe Allah is God. If the resurrection isn't true, then maybe one of the Hindu gods is God. If the resurrection isn't true, then someone else is God, but it's not our God. And Paul says, I want you to know that you have created the worst crime ever. Now, in our day, people would just assume, because of, of the way that we think, and I talked about this a number of weeks ago, that if it's not our God, then there is no God. In Paul's day, that wouldn't have been the assumption. No one would have assumed if it's not our God, then there is no God, that the universe self-created. Everyone would have assumed if it's not our God, then it's another God. It's a different God. Because they all believe in God. And Paul's saying, I want you to know, you, as Christians, are the worst people ever if Christ hasn't been raised to life again because you're continually, habitually lying about God himself. You see how powerful Paul here wants to unpack if you don't believe the dead are raised in Christ, then Christ has not been raised. Your preaching and your faith is useless. You're liars about God. And then it, it, it goes on. Ready? And you're without hope. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, not just useless, futile. You are still in your sins. You can't stand before the presence of an almighty then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That term is always used of believers who have died. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Not only have you lied about God, but your life has been a waste. Like if you really put Christ as your centerpiece, you're spending all that time praying and all that time giving and all that time thinking about how to honor him and all that time teaching your kids. And your life is to be pitied more than anyone else if Christ has not been raised because you've wasted your life. You've just wasted your life. It's gone. Gone. Thursday night, Tyler was leading our men's group and talking about generosity and other ways of the way that we use our money. And 
You know, some of the guys were saying when they compare themselves to some of their friends and peers in that same group, and, and they think about why they're not as far ahead as some of their peers, and then they think about the generosity in which they give to the kingdom and the Lord, they realize, well, that's, that's a huge chunk of it right there. In fact, it might be the whole reason why their friends can do X, Y, and Z, and, and they can't, because they're honoring God with their wealth. And Paul's saying, what a waste of your money. Christ has not been raised. What a waste of your time that you've gathered here this morning if Christ has not been raised. You are ridiculously stupid if Christ has not been raised. Because there's nothing more traumatizing than false hope. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits when he comes, then those who belong to him. I want you to note some qualifying moments here. But Christ has indeed definitely been raised from the dead. He is the firstfruits. Christ in his resurrected body is the firstfruit of those who've come alive again. Now some of you say, well, what about the girl that he, Jesus said? What about Lazarus? Anyone that Jesus raised to life again when he was here, was going to die again. Jesus is the only one who came back to life who wasn't going to experience death again. Only him. Lazarus was going to die again. I mean, I, I'm sure Lazarus was thankful the Lord brought him back, but he might have also been like, what? Do I have to go through that again later on? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Jesus was raised to life victoriously, never to die again. And he is the first fruits, meaning the first fruit was that of the harvest of which you would give to the Lord, the first that would come off of the field or crop to show that God was going to grant you great bounty after. And he is the first fruits, believing that after him there is a great bounty of those who belong to God who will be raised to life again. It is of those who have fallen asleep, again, a term used of those who have died in Christ. Because death came through a man, and I wished I, I was, though I was thankful Rick Buck could come, wish I hadn't had to quarantine a couple weeks because I would have last week been in Genesis 3 and I wanted to use Genesis 3 to set up this morning and this morning's message but Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve will look at it next week choose to sin and because death enters into the world through a man Adam in choosing to sin because humanity sinned humanity deserved to die but God didn't want humanity to die but the only way that humanity itself could be saved would be if humanity was punished for its sin. And so God the Son chose to cloak his deity with humanity. That's why this was the only way. People say all the time, why couldn't there be another way? There could not be another way. The only way to save us was if a human being or human beings died. But no human being could suffer the wrath of the Father and survive except a sinless human being. And so the Son, Jesus, who is the second Adam, came. And just as death came through a man and infected all of humanity, so life and resurrection can come and does come through a man, the man Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. Cloaking his deity with humanity, living among us, never sinning, never, ever, ever sinning, having done nothing wrong, perfectly fulfilling the law. And because he'd never sinned, being the only one who could conquer sin and Satan and death. So he is our representative. That is who he is. As death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Because as in Adam we all die, in Christ 
we will be all being alive. Now remember, the all alive, he clarifies. It's those who belong to him in verse 23. He's not saying every single human being. It's those who belong to him. It's those whom he has called. It's those who've repented and trusted in his name. It's those like freedom who've said, I belong to Christ. I belong to him. This afternoon, I have the privilege of baptizing three people at the Karen service. About eight years ago, I met a young man, Wally. He was, he was in his teens. And I believed at that time that God had his hand on his life. But he rebelled. He walked away. And two years ago, he showed up at one of the Karen services in a Sunday afternoon. Two years ago, this coming summer. So a year and eight months ago or so. And um, this is what he wrote to me in his testimony. I met him with a group of his friends on Wednesday night. So before I asked God for forgiveness, I was struggling with my faith. It was so bad that suicide was the only thing on my mind. Depression got the best of me. I was hopeless. My heart was blank. My mind was dark. I had no purpose to live. I didn't want to tell my family or my friends or my girlfriend. I didn't want to trouble any of them. But I came to church that Sunday. I'll never forget that Sunday. I, I watched him as I preached. And I just watched him sit there, weep. At the end of the service, I went to talk to him. As I went to talk to him, he just collapsed into my arms, weeping. And I said, Wally, what's going on? He wrote this as his testimony. I forgot this, to be honest. I remembered seeing him. I forgot that he'd done this. I'm like, like bro, you never hug me. I'm not a hugging guy. And he just said that God had spoken to him powerfully. So I made an appointment with him. He came to my office three days later. He said, three days later, I went to see Pastor Dwayne at his office. That was the day God saved me. I told him what my problem was, and he let me understand the purpose of life, why we existed, and the problem of sin. We prayed. I cried to the Lord, and I asked God for his forgiveness. I needed Jesus to save me. I was relieved. I felt much better after the meeting. I felt so happy. I was full of joy. I went back to my car. I was full of the Spirit. I was so high on God. I put this song on called I Believe by Hillsong, and I put it on repeat till I got home. And I was in love with what God has done for me, and I still am. I'm ready to be baptized today, not because my mom or my grandma or Pastor Dwayne has said so, but because of what God has done in sending me his only beloved son to die for me and to die for my sin and to love me endlessly and to forgive me even though I don't deserve it. I want to pay him back, but I know I can't. I know whatever I do will never be enough. But I'm going to grow in my faith and walk in the path that he has granted me. I want to put on God's, God's armor, so I'm being baptized today to start this new chapter in my life, and I thank God for what he has done. That's what God does. He radically, powerfully, miraculously saves people. Because in Christ, we can be made alive. Is that not good news? Though in Adam all die, in Christ we can belong to God. In Christ we can belong to God. And as Paul walks through these verses, talking about how Christ is the first fruit, his argumentation is more around the fallacy of why we need to believe in a resurrection, because if you don't, this is what occurs. But I want you to know, and I've walked you through these before, I'm not going to go through all of them today, without any doubt or hesitation, I believe historically that Jesus rose to life again. I believe the greatest proof of that beyond the Spirit of God in us is this. 
In every other major religion, if you study them across the world, you will find that in each religion, they stay at the very center place of where they were birthed or where they origin, where, where they originated. You can see that as you study each major religion. There, of course, is some with migration and immigration movement to other parts of the world. But if you study the Muslim faith or the Hindu faith, if you study the Buddhist faith, where they were originated is where they are still centrally located. But that is not true with Christianity. Christianity has always been on the move. Birthed in the Middle East, moved into the Western world, right? First Europe. Then, as it began to move from Europe, it began to move to other parts of the world. You name them. Africa, South America, Asia. Because the center of Christianity is always moving. He is on the move. He is saving people from every language, every custom, every culture, every tribe, until he's gathered people from across this world to himself. When I met with these young Karen men on Wednesday night, I meet with them every other Wednesday to disciple them. And I'm looking for people to help me. If you want to join in something that's exciting, join me. As I'm meeting with them on Wednesday nights and I'm discipling them and walking them into the ways of the Lord, they were talking to me about the tragedy that was going on in Miramar right now, the bombings that's happening to their own people, and they began to weep as they were talking about what's going on and say to me, Pastor, we want you to know that the faith of our, of our brothers and sisters and of our own lives have been encouraged because as we've watched those that we know and love flee, they have two things with them, the clothes on their back and the Bible in their hand. That's all they've got. The clothes on their back and the Bible in their hand, and it has encouraged us because they believe that Jesus is all they've got. Is that not great news? God is still living and active and working all around our world, saving people. And lastly, everything that is subject to the Son will be subject to the Father. The end will come. He will hand the kingdom to God the Father. He will destroy every dominion, every authority, every power. That is Paul wanting to say that in every way, anything that has any way defied God will be destroyed, gone. Dominion, principalities and powers, authority, Satan, sin, power, death, it will all be gone. They will all reign until his enemies are put under his feet. And that last enemy is death. Christ will vanquish death. Is that not good news? We will one day be in a place where we will never hear of anyone dying again. And then he will subject himself to the Father. Notice when he has done this, this is verse 28, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Again, this is not a comprehensive universalistic statement. The statement here is that God's reign will be full and total. This doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. He's already explained, Paul, that this is about those who belong to him. The term fallen asleep is always used of those who've died in Christ. Those who've died outside of Christ aren't even mentioned in this passage purposely. We're talking about the resurrection of the dead for those who've died in Christ. And what God is saying is he is going to enter into a time where nothing will enter into it in any way that will ever cause pain or harm or difficulty again because God will be all in all so comprehensively that there will only be life, there will only be love, there will only be joy, there will only be peace, there will only be grace. That's our expectant hope. Is that not good news? And it is true because the centerpiece of our hope is Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who came, who died, who's been raised to life again. You do not hope in vain. 
You do not hope in vain. The hope you have is in the certain resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. When we gather to mourn believers at funerals, the first words out of our mouth shouldn't be, I can't wait to see them again. The first words out of our mouth should be, I can't wait to see Jesus. I don't get to see them again because of a belief they had. I get to see them again because of Jesus Christ the Lord. Because of him. Our faith is in him. It has an object. It's not about our faith. It's about the object of our faith. It's Jesus Christ. He came. He lived. He died. He's been raised by the power of the Father. And every dominion and every power and every authority, all of it, all of it, all of it, will be vanquished by Christ in his supreme authority. All of it. And he will take death and he will cast it out. And he will welcome us in for all of eternity. And though I'm thankful it will be a place with no, no sin and no disease and no temptation, I am more thankful that it's a place where he will be at centerpiece forever and ever and ever. Amen. Is that not great news? And that, that is our hope. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Your faith is not futile. Your words are not empty. You have not lied about God. And your life is not useless. You are not to be pitied more than anyone. You have believed in Jesus, God the Son, who's come down save us. Jason, you guys can come up. Would you pray with me? We are amazed that instead of casting us aside, instead of putting us out, instead of choosing, oh God, to throw us away, that your love for us would be so much that you, God the Son, Jesus, would come and you would be the second Adam. And you would never sin, and you would fulfill the law, and you would die conquering sin and Satan and death. And the amen to your death would be that the Father would raise you to life again, and that you would be the first fruits of all that we expect. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, on this Easter Sunday, may you ignite our hearts aflame again by your Spirit with the hope that we have in you that is certain and true. For we ask this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.